0: just got picked. Oh wow! God, go, go, God go.
1: stop! Go. Good thing I was recording when that happened. <laughs>
0: that's, that's, that's the intro. That's the intro.
2: That's the intro. Yeah. I think that just started with the breaking news. The top. We're not working <laughs> with
0: football anymore. Oh come on, well, baby, draft tracker. Pick it up. Pick it up. Draft tracker. Let's go. God, <laughs> Is slow. I got well, ten more seconds.
1: Welcome to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. You've literally caught us midstream. Uh, Jeff, Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez with you. I can't believe you. Breaking news: The Tampa Bay yeah. Rays with the one hundred fifty fifth pick. In the MLB draft, have selected Jeffrey Hackinson of UCF. That's what we're leading with right now. In case you didn't hear, literally, we were we started this show thinking like, ah, nobody's going to get picked. And all of a sudden, the Rays come. They're the, off the top rope. Come the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, <laughs> and now you have a busy night for yourself tonight, uh, tonight, Brian Murphy. Don't you?
0: Maybe a little bit, but it's exciting. I mean, it. We we came tonight maybe hoping that a, a player or two would be drafted. I think we'll see another player or two maybe leave as a free agent, and we thought maybe a couple of their commits would be drafted. But as we're getting to pick, one fifty-five of one sixty, you know, time's running short, and all of a sudden, Hackinson's name's popped up on the screen. Hakinson, Hakinson. I can't, I shouldn't mispronounce it. Yeah. popped up. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ! First too excited. I'm very pumped. I'm actually
1: composing the tweet right now. <laughs> as you can see, so we're going to talk about this.
0: For this.
2: I want to take credit because we were supposed to. We're going to. Re- we thought about recording earlier, and I said well, maybe we should wait till the draft in case one of our guys gets drafted. And look what happened. Literally, as we start recording,
1: I know. Gotta love that. H a k a n. This is this is like stuff happening right now.
2: <laughs> All right, Marv, well, let's talk about him here real quick because he had a monster year as a uh, as a closer. dominant you got a chance to talk to him during the season. You watched him. Your reaction here literally minutes after he's going to the Tampa Bay Rays fifth round pick uh pretty exciting i mean you talk about a guy i mean you know 2020 a lost year well it wasn't a lost year for Jeffrey
0: no i mean it's it's is he's one of those guys where it's just it's just too bad that we didn't have a full season because what he was on pace for already was just insane um i am i'm, I'm pulling i'm trying to pull up the stats right now uh, but he only cuz he only faced uh, I believe he only faced like 28 batters this year. Uh, he struck out 20 of them, yeah, he picked eight at the rating, struck out 20, walked one and he had, I believe two balls hit out of the infield all year. It was a single and a flyout. Uh, otherwise it was all strikeouts <laughs> and groundouts and infield popouts. Uh, Can't do much better was, than that. <laughs> it was amazingly flat dominant. Um, I know he got named to a to a, a first team all-American by uh, by, some outlet recently, uh, totally deserving. Uh, he's a guy who, his velocity grew, certainly this year he topped out at about 96, uh, sat constantly in that 92 to 94 range, could certainly pump it up to 96, 97, but the difference for him was developing a breaking pitch. He developed a slider, became much sharper, not as loopy, and when you mix those two things together, certainly at the college level, you can dominate, and he absolutely, was just lights out, absolutely lights out, and it's just too bad that um, uh, we didn't get to see more of them. You're, uh, okay,
1: you're right about you that. A real, I just want to recap the stats. Yeah. I'm sorry, Eric. That, uh, he, did, he faced 26 hitters this season uh, in, tw- in the, the, uh, the abbreviated 2020 campaign, struck out 20, walked one, gave up one hit, and hit a guy. So yeah. there you go. I mean, now, that's not, I mean, to, that's not, by the way, to overshadow what he did in 2019, which wasn't quite as impressive but still pretty doggone impressive. Uh, twenty, twenty six and two thirds innings, fifty two strikeouts, fifteen walks, gave up ten uh, earned runs, eleven total, gave up sixteen hits. He was one and zero with a three point three eight uh, six save. So none of that stuff really matters. I mean, fifty two K's in twenty six innings. That's that's also pretty good. So um, so yeah, I mean
0: it, you can't just his ability to can command the zone and to use the power, but to also know where it's going and to hit your edges and um, you know everything he did this year this year uh, it was the perfect blend of a guy developing a pitch a, a guy getting better at his pitch ability developing your breaking stuff and really understanding the art of pitching I mean we knew he, he could throw hard and yes this year he threw harder this year though he became a much better pitcher and that's why he's a fifth round pick All Right,
2: pick 155 let me ask you this, Murph. Obviously, this is the baseball draft has a lot of storylines for a lot of reasons beyond you know, UCF, which we're not, not going to get into. But it's a five-round draft. And one of the interesting things I've noticed, a lot of relief pitchers in college have been gone in this draft. A lot of college players in general have been dominated by college. But relief pitchers have been going more and more earlier in drafts. And some of the theories is because they're the most ready to contribute right away out of the bullpen to big league teams. Uh do you think that helped Jeffrey from that standpoint? And could, as a result, with the Rays, who's a team that, as you know, Murph, uses a, like to use a lot of arms in their approach, could we see? Could this be a path where Jeffrey's in the big leagues sooner than later?
0: Uh, I don't, I don't know about that. He's not. He's certainly not a guy who I don't think is going to be there, you know, within a year. I think he needs more time. I, I, again, I think he really is just sort of finding himself now. I mean, he was good certainly two years ago and. In 20 in 2019, had his season cut short. Uh, cut. He had some injury problems that he had to deal with, but he really found the best of himself this year. And I still think he needs to work on that. So I don't know if he'll be on an ultimate fast track. But to your point, Eric, obviously we know it's a different game. We know what the the thing now is. You don't want your pitcher, you don't want your starting pitcher to face a lineup, you know, the third time through. You want, you know, and, and you know, unless you have a, a complete, you know, stud ace on the mound, you want to be able to rely on your bullpen, shorten games. You know, have your starter give you five or six and then bring in these relievers who throw, you know, high 90s gas uh, with some with some funky breaking stuff. And Jeff fits that mold. So, yeah, you could see him being uh, an effective reliever. I don't don't know. I don't know. That means he's going to be a closer, per se. Of course, on the Rays, there is no such thing as a closer. They don't. Right. They have they have great relievers who they make the the closer. But that doesn't mean he's the guy. Just they they. They mix and match their guys really well, but I certainly think because of his because of his development this year, he 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 has made his path to the big leagues that much clearer. They needed to, that he needed to show that with his stuff he could control it, and he did that this year. And it continues. Certainly, you could see him be in the major leagues because you can throw hard, but also be deceptive and control it. Even if you're a one-inning guy, there's a spot for you.
1: You think that it might be the same situation where he's up, where he's up as quickly as, like, say, a guy like uh, Houston Street, right? Who uh, was drafted in 2004 when he was in Texas, and then the next year, 2005, he's closing out games for the Oakland A's?
0: No, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think he's that, he's that, he's that refined. Like okay. I said to Eric, I think just finding himself now. He needs to, he, he needs to like really just sort of build upon that and it's too bad that he didn't get a full season to do that this year right um but i think he needs time to do that by the way i'm the rays are at, a
2: good organization to be developed though that, if you mentioned they've developed quality, quality arms
0: out of the bullpen i mean every every franchise now is analytically sound but but i mean we talk about guys who know how to use their pitchers the best and what roles work for them certainly the the rays are are, are top among them i mean the, they've done so many things that people have tried to copy off of. Uh, and, uh, and you know, they're just a really, really, really smart organization. So it's it's great to see that they have faith. Something they saw in Jeffrey, they have faith that he can certainly help them. So
1: he goes in the fifth round pick number 155. 155.
0: Is that right? Okay. so yeah, I, I was looking it up because there's been a couple other UCF players who have been taken in the fifth round recently. We had Thad Ward in twenty eighteen and and Jason Barr in twenty seventeen. But in terms of picks, in terms of overall picks, he's actually the earliest UCF player off the board since Eric Scoblin went in the third round in twenty
2: fourteen. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. What do what do you what do you make of that, uh Murph, as far as the future here? You know, there's supposed someone talk about the draft being short and things like that. Do you uh, will there and I know and is a good segue. You've got a chance to talk to Greg Lovelady about this. But what is how? What is the impact of the draft moving forward? Where baseball's headed with this? And you know they might push it back up to twenty rounds. How does it affect the program like UCF, which usually gets a lot of draft picks? Guys drafted, usually about in the fifth round or even later in the draft.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's yeah, like I said, it's not just UCF. It's everybody. You have so many more players in in college now, or probably going to college, or staying in college, because you know the draft is shorter. Uh, and so, and not and not and it's not just that the draft is shorter, but if you don't get taken in these five rounds, and I'm currently talking as the last pick is on the clock, if you aren't taken in these 160 picks, you know you, you know I think Jeffrey, I think the slot value for his pick is around three hundred thousand dollars. I think. I mean, he, he's going to make some pretty decent money. Wow. But if but if he, but if anybody who doesn't get picked in these 160 uh, picks, they can only sign for as much as 20 grand. So it falls off, the money falls off drastically right away. So that's obviously influencing a lot of kids, especially juniors who have two more years of eligibility to come back and try to build their draft stock for next year when it's a 20 round draft. But also you have the seniors who are coming back who aren't counting against the roster count, uh, who've given another, another year of eligibility. Plus you have the influx of the freshmen. And right now UCF has an eight player freshman class uh, that they're that they're supposed to be bringing in for 2021 uh, it's you know I, I'm not sure if all those players will make it to UCF um, for, for different reasons but you add in those eight players plus the guys returning plus the juniors who thought they could have gone this year in the draft and you've got a log jam. now I will say the log jam at UCF is not nearly as bad as other places because they didn't have many seniors to begin with um, and their, their class is kind of small it's only eight guys so if you look at the guys they've lost uh, or, or, and and uh, guys they've added I think right now Their their roster is like at 36 guys And on a 35 man Roster typically That's that's not that bad
1: Well that brings oh, us wait, to so a that great that segue way. By the way go ahead Eric
0: Real quick uh, so
2: this is the 7th UCF player to be drafted in the 5th round In the history of the program uh, For Jeffrey there uh, And Mert bro- broke it down the last few rounds He's the seventh guy ever to be drafted drafted in the fifth round. UCF's had three first-round guys picked in the first round. The history of the, can you name them, folks? Three
1: Three first-round guys.
2: guys? Yes. Well, and uh, here's uh, a hit. Two of them were a recent guest, and then another one Murph has talked to in the last in over the last year. Just well, (laughs) uh,
1: Justin Pope, Jason Arnold, and uh, and and
2: uh, Chad Matola. Chad Matola. That's right. Who went fifth overall? He's the highest draft pick in the history of the program. He went ahead of Derek Jeter. That's what he's known for. Uh, the first
1: round. Yeah. Well, he's known for more than that. I mean, let's just let's be honest here. Um, oh. All right, so that gives us a good segue because we were we, one of the things we thought we were going to talk about a little bit more about was um, uh, having to do with college baseball and how this how this all affects what UCF and a bunch of other baseball programs. Yeah, baseball is really getting hit hard by COVID nineteen right now, and uh, as as are a bunch of other Olympic sports. Um, but, you know, we know that baseball is something that, you know, we hold near and dear to our hearts here at UCF. And um, Kendall Rogers actually uh, tweeted out uh, the other day and no, yesterday, uh, the NCAA Division One Committee for Legislative Relief has given D1 baseball relief. It includes for the 2020-2021 academic year, a 35, the 35 man roster cap has been lifted. There is no limit to the size of a roster. The annual counter has increased from twenty-seven to thirty-two. I don't know what that means, if You'll have to explain to me. And then the twenty-five percent scholarship minimum has been eliminated for one year, which means in order to there's eleven point seven scholarships that you can hand out uh, for, for college baseball. Um, twenty-five. In order for a scholarship to count, it must it must be for at least was it at least 25% of tuition room and board and all that right so that's right. that's what that means.
0: given at least a, a quarter scholarship
1: right okay so what is the what
0: is the annual counter what does that mean so the count is the players on scholarship so you have a 30 typically in a baseball in a typical baseball season college baseball season you have a 35 man roster mm-hmm. 27 of those 35 have to be on scholarship
1: and those who are on scholarship they must they must get at, at least 25% of their is it is it tuition and room and board or is it other
0: stuff I'm not too? I'm sure the breakdown of the scholarship but that's how you spread around 11.7 scholarship among 27 blairs is you give a bunch of guys, you know, pieces of a scholarship.
1: Hmm. Is it is yeah. it actually is it actually 11.75 or is it 11.7 because I don't see it's how that not, works.
0: I never heard that. I mean I I've, I've always heard it's 11.7.
1: Hmm, that's weird. Okay. Well, I have to ask I have to ask Love Lady this at some point. Who, by the way, you spoke to uh, oh, this awesome. week, Brian Murphy. You Exclusively. Know, an exclusive with Coach Love. So what's
0: he up to? <laughs> he is – well, you know, it's funny. When I talked to him back in March after the after the season had just ended, he sounded like a guy who just didn't know what to do now because he's a guy who's never had things to really – you know, the new things to plan in March. He's always just been on a schedule of, 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 you know, baseball. And now he's got to find things to do. And I think the one thing he's, he talked about a lot is just spending more time with his family. And, and, and he understands that for so many college coaches, you don't get these months with your kids. And he's got two young kids. I think one is 12 and uh, 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 one is eight and one is, or no one is 12 and one is eight. And, um, so he gets time now to spend with them that he usually wouldn't. Uh, his oldest son Noah started playing uh, baseball in uh, a, a league about three weekends ago. So he's working with him and doing you know pitching with him and drills with him, and I, I think that has given him a real sense of calm and and, and, a, and something to do now. He also said that they built in a pool in their house in January, which has been great. He called that uh, a godsend because it means the kid the kids you know have something to do. Um, but I think he's just, you know, he's 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 finding, you know, he's finding ways to to spend the time wisely while also trying to prepare for for the next season.
1: By the way, uh, his wife Lindsay is out here uh, correcting D1 Baseball on their tweet announcing Hackinson's uh, draft uh, 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 H- Hackinson's pick. They initially tweeted out that he was picked by USF. <laughs> Oops! Wow! Really? Oopsies! Yeah, they delete. <laughs> They deleted it because Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay tweeted them out. And she's like, correction, UCF. By the way, Lindsay Lovelady Hankinson. is <laughs> Hakinson That's right. Haken. I, Haken. As I, as, as I talk about a correction, I have to correct yeah, myself. Yeah, I know. Right? Correct uh, yourself there. Yeah. So, uh, so, so let's, right, let's now, give, let's give now, it up for, now, uh, for Lindsay Lovelady as well here. Go ahead, uh, Eric.
2: Now, now first, you talked about with Greg about the rostered things. Now, just yeah. because this draft is over, it's now officially over as we record this, does not mean that there's not a chance that another UCF player could possibly end up signing with a Major League Baseball team. Just to kind of explain what's next, because this is all foreign now uh, in baseball, where a bunch of guys didn't get drafted may end up signing as free agents with teams here.
0: Yeah, so I think going into this draft, you know, you know, know, UCF saw a number of guys, juniors, who they thought they could lose in this draft, and 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 that group that was mentioned to me by Love Lady included Jeffrey Hicken, uh, Jeffrey ha- Jeffrey Higginson, Jackson Clare. <laughs> see, um, see, you, it's
1: it's not you know, that easy, it, people.
0: <laughs> Jack, Jackson Clare, who's again a dominant reliever this year, Trevor Holloway, who was their best starter, I thought. Uh, Dalton Lingo, uh, who uh, was a, a complete stud last year, was was not as good this year, but certainly um, a great hitter and Colton Gordon who was their Friday night starter this year in his first year as a as a transfer in they thought those guys could possibly go in the draft and if not in the draft and sign later i've also heard that Jeffrey Peña uh, the breakout player at center, the breakout center fielder could also possibly go pro i certainly don't think that that uh, is the only guy that UCF's going to lose i think there's at least one of the player who will sign as a junior for the, you know, the $20,000 maximum free agent contract just to get their career started. We'll find out there, you know, whether or not that's happening, you know, in the next couple of days as guys sign contracts and whatnot. Um, if I had to guess, purely guess, I, I think Trevor Holloway is the most likely candidate to sign a contract and people will go like, well, he has a junior. Why couldn't he come back and, and, and play his junior year and rehab his draft stock and come back for the 20 year draft 20 round draft? Why is he going to take twenty thousand dollars, and that's maximum twenty thousand dollars? Why would he take that now? Well, Trevor got married during fall ball last year, so his his life's a little different, you know. So he's got to provide. I think now there's more there's more pressure on him to provide. So I, I do think, and talking with some people, they they understand that it that that seems likely that Trevor would take the money and go pro now. Um, but that's my guess. We will see if any of those other guys decide to sign contracts too. Um, I would say, you know, know, I would say that I I think there's a little bit of surprise coming from UCF right now. I thought, talking to Lovelady and some other people, they thought there was going to be more than one player drafted. And then maybe they have a chance now to bring back more players than they thought. They also thought there were going to be a couple of their their, 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 um, uh, freshmen or high school commits who were going to be drafted. That didn't happen. So those guys could come to campus now. I, I think this is actually a pretty good night for the future of UCF baseball.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting December. because like we're seeing the strife. I'm sorry, Eric. We're seeing the, the real strife right now between the minors and Major League Baseball with the professional baseball agreement. There are not going to be a lot more opportunities for guys to show their wares in the minors next year if if things keep going the way this is going. Right? So, like it I, it's the isn't it a bigger risk now to leave without being drafted because of that in part
0: at least it's a risk for everybody even the kids who are drafted I mean I mean yeah you get you get some money and I, I want to pull up the uh, the draft the draft slot money uh, that um, that Jeffrey's getting uh, I think it's about, I think I said I think it's about $300,000 but what's also been what's also new this year with the, the draft is they're allowing teams to defer a lot of that money so what you would typically get is a signing bonus the now is being basically deferred to next year and the year after. So even the money that he's supposed to be making now, he won't get until later because of this whole thing. And then you talk about guys, you know, going to the minor leagues, going to rookie ball now, where teams teams are are shutting down and and the landscape is changing. It's 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 a weird time for everybody. It's a weird time for the sport in general. So I, I don't think it's just the guys who are undrafted free agents. I think it's guys who are drafted today as well that. That they understand there's a very uncertain future for minor league baseball in so many aspects, and um, they have to be aware of that.
1: All
2: right. Oh. There's a lot of uncertainty on the co- coming back though to college baseball because of the the rosters are just going to be enormous, uh, Murph. I mean, there's guys. I mean, just because you come back doesn't mean you're guaranteed the same slots that you had, and right. you're going to have new faces anyway. And I know you addressed one of the new faces and one is A.J. Jones, a kid that transferred from Jacksonville, pitcher coming to UCF, uh, and perhaps in part to replace potentially a Halloway or definitely replacing a Joe Sheridan, who I don't think we've addressed since uh, on the podcast, but obviously has transferred and is now at Notre Dame. Yeah,
0: and so that it re- that really is the reason why UCF went out and got A.J. Jones because they knew that – once they knew that Joe Sheridan was going to transfer – and once they knew that Jalen Whitehead wasn't returning as well, a senior left-hander who was outstanding as kind of a swing man this year, starter reliever, uh, he's not coming back either as a senior because he he's took he got a job. He he was interviewing for a job at a financial institution during the season. He got the job. He's going to take the job and leave baseball. So those two guys leaving the team opened up a spot for Lovelady and his staff to sort of go hunt for a replacement, which... He said that they usually wouldn't do in this time, but when you look at all, the the teams and the amount of experience the teams could possibly bring back, I mean, you're gonna have teams out there that are bringing back a lot of seniors. UCF only had four seniors on their team last year and only one of them is returning. He told us uh, Jordan Rathbone is the only senior that Greg Lovelady thinks will return. Uh, And so that kind of leaves UCF at a little bit of an experience uh, disadvantage and I think they, they wanted a guy like A.J. Jones who can pitch out of the bullpen but can also pitch as a starter, has pitched well as a starter for a couple of years, was really better at Jacksonville in 2019 than he was in 2020, but he gives them more, I think, safety and stability than hoping that someone like maybe a, a Zach Hunsaker or David Litchfield could transition to a starter or they had to take one of their um, new freshman pitchers uh, straight out of high school and make them a starter I, I think they would rather pick a guy who has got that experience and that knowledge of how it goes uh rather than trying to fit someone else into that spot and that's why they went out and got aj jones yeah wow
1: so well, that's a lot to unpack uh this coming baseball season i is it I don't think it's unfair to say that with everything that's going on at the pro level in baseball and everything, and everything that COVID-19 has done to college baseball, that college baseball right now is in just the, the most dramatic state of flux of any sport right now. It's whew, There's just a lot going well, on. And, there,
2: and, there, and there's been some chatter about whether college baseball might change uh, their model in the coming years. There's been some proposals. Murph, I know you addressed this with Greg Lovelady of, this big proposal that some coaches are trying to get behind where the baseball college baseball season starts later and goes into the summer. Just kind of address that. Cause I know you asked Greg about that.
0: Uh, yeah. So there's a proposal out that was kind of put forth uh, a couple of about more than a month ago now uh, from a panel of power five coaches mostly, but it also has the backing of many other coaches across D one, including Cliff Godwin. Uh, at ECU, and, and again, it's just a proposal. There's nothing set in stone about this. This is, this is a long way from happening and getting passed and being anywhere close to from actually being a reality. But the, And the proposal, if passed, would go into effect the 2022 season. It's basically this, that they want to move the college baseball season back from basically the second week of February. You know that baseball season now starts around Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. They want to move back about three to four weeks to about the second week of March, um, really for a number of reasons. One, it allows those northern schools, and not just your Sienna's and your and your Wagners, but like your Ohio states and your Michigan and your Big Ten schools, to get more games in which there's more temperate weather. And so you get more fans and better attendance and then those fans are there, they're buying more food and more concessions. Um, so that creates more money. Also, uh, if you're able to play those games at home because it's not as bad, the weather's not as bad, then you can obviously don't need to travel as much because you know all those northern schools come down to the south early in the year in February because they can't play in 20 degree weather up north. Um, so there's that. Also, the schedule, the, the the change in the schedule would mean that instead of a, a five week preseason as there is now that starts in January and goes up to February, we would actually have a nine. We would have a, would have a preseason that covers nine weeks. It would be a four week uh, like preseason and a five week preseason. Uh, to give players a larger ramp up, a more of a runway to prepare for the season, uh, which you know I think James uh, James Andrews, the very famous uh, surgeon, is quoted in this in this uh, proposal as saying, you know, more ramp up time, more prepare time uh, means you probably have less odds of an injury, and that's you know that's good too. I think Man. talking to I think talking to Love about this, he doesn't know, really know where to stand on this now because for UCF, they don't they don't really worry about weather. Uh, you know, canceling their games or being a problem with their games in February. I can count on one hand every year the games in which UCF plays in which the temperature is below fifty. I mean, really, and that's about as, about as cold as it gets. So weather's not an issue for them, and they they depend on those northern schools to come down for home games. Um, so if those home games go away because those northern schools aren't traveling as much, does that mean UCF has to travel more? He doesn't know that. He was kind of just wondering aloud. And then secondly because the season gets pushed back to March, it gets extended the other way too. The, the, you know, the, the, the uh, conference championship weekend uh, wouldn't happen until June. You would have basically the College World Series being played in July. Well, that means obviously you need to keep kids on campus for a longer period of time, and time in which they're, they're no longer in school, but you need to have those dorms running, you need to pay for meals, um, so that would create possibly more money that UCF has to spend. Um, so I think for those for those kind of schools, that like UCF, I think Lovelady right now is still trying to figure out what is best for UCF and where it really benefits them. But he also did say that if it is best for the game overall, he's all for it. But he doesn't want to do something only because it, it, it benefits a, a segment of schools, where he said the Big Ten schools, and doesn't equally benefit the other schools in the nation.
1: Me just kind of speculating here, this this might, I don't know if this is for sure, but this might be actually end up, I think, possibly enabling some schools to maybe expand and add baseball as a sport once once the pandemic recedes, because, you know, for example, like I, I in grad school at Syracuse, you know, I went back to look at, you know, Syracuse dropped baseball in 1978, um, you know, it, it snows in Syracuse until May. Um, <clears throat> But like, if you push the season back, you might see some more of those northern schools. And also the fact that uh, more, more of those northern schools picking up because not only that, you also have an opportunity to get some better quality players if the minor leagues shrink. I think that's the other thing that might be too. I mean, I know that's way far afield, Murph, but could that be a possibility?
0: Yeah. Possibly. But again, this is so in the embryonic stages right now. I mean, it sounds good. There's a lot of things here about not only... You know, the, the weather being an improvement and then having more preparation time would cut on injuries, but also because the schedule we pushed away from the start of the spring semester uh, that you would give more times to get their feet under them academically yeah. in the spring. So you, would, you would have more focus on education, you know, obviously with less travel and more regional travel, you would have less kids missing classes because they're not taking, you know, three hour plane flights anymore. Um, so you have more kids in classes. So there's that there's that. Part of it too. This has a lot of backing around the sport because of all of it, all of those areas in which it touches that it could benefit in. But I think for specific schools like UCF, which depend on all those home games from northern schools early on, which don't really worry about weather, uh, and would you know really need to worry about. Well, you know, it seems like the only thing that could really inf- impact me here is that I would have to keep my kids on campus for an extra month while the season plays out, while there's just no school going on. How much is that going to cost me? I think for those teams, they're still wondering how it affects, impacts them. But like I said, I think love is very much in in the exploratory stages of, of you know his determination of how this helps, and I, he's going to take some time and make some phone calls. And um, he says if it's good for baseball and if he's convinced that it's good for the sport overall, he'll do it. He'll agree.
1: Well, and uh, this, I'm actually curious, like how many how many players actually do live on campus as opposed to live off campus in apartments. I mean, that's well,
0: no, that, you also have to pay for those guys, you know, to get pregame, postgame meals. That's true. Too. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. But well,
2: don't underestimate TV's role in this. I mean, I've been told, that, you know, for a couple of years, ESPN's kind of wanted college baseball to push their season back because they could have the College World Series in July, which is usually traditionally a slow sports month. So, for
1: right. all, to- all you have there is the MLB All Star Game, which ESPN doesn't even right. televise. So, yep.
0: right. yeah, right. Another reason why they want to do this, too, is sort of get college baseball away from college basketball. Yes, Um, yes. And not have basically the first half of the season completely coinciding with the end of conference playing college basketball in the the men's uh, basketball tournament. So now, if you start around mid-March, you're starting your season during the tournament, but you would have most of the season happening after college basketball is wrapped up. Eric, are the the, the softball people— Sorry, Eric, go ahead.
2: Well, I just want to say there, and Murphy, can uh, There's studies they did on that. They feel that they can draw better, pushing it back later, that more people would actually attend college baseball, and they think they could make it a, it could become a revenue-making sport more consistently than it currently is. Well, there's a lot
0: of studies out there that uh, you know attendance is a big thing in, in this proposal, and a lot of studies out there about how attendance goes up as the year goes on, and I think there's a bit of a uh, a quick connection made that the attendance goes up solely because the weather improves and I think people and, and lovely brought it up but it's also something I thought about you know and people have thought about attendance might go up as the year goes along because more people are interested to watch conference baseball and teams they know more than just your basic midweek non-conference games against teams you don't know from you know, non-power conferences or uncompetitive teams also by the time you get to may you know the attendance might go up because you know how good your team is and if your team is good well, breaking news. If your team is good, you might have better attendance in May, and people want to come out and watch it. Yeah. So, there's a lot of things that are being drawn here that maybe aren't, you know, fully fleshed out. But um, it, it's a it's a big discussion point across the sport right now.
1: Eric, are your folks uh, on the softball side? Are they thinking about doing the same thing?
2: No, we're not as smart as baseball is, so we usually <laughs> tend to lag uh, behind. No one's uh, even suggesting the- it. No, no, no. I mean, I I think softball tends to – I'll give you an example. College baseball uh, put in instant replay. Uh, You've seen it at the College World Series and you've seen it in certain conferences. College softball still hasn't done that. They've talked about it, but they still haven't done that. Uh, Not even at the College
1: World Series.
2: Correct, correct. There's no replay in the Women's College World Series. We've been screaming about it for years because the umpiring in softball is ten times worse than baseball. Uh, but yet, it doesn't get done. And the reason is, there is some form of what I'm told there's a lot of quote unquote purist traditionalists that don't want it changed. Uh, I don't think there's as many. Uh, Who are these like people? In baseball. <laughs> Say what? Who are these people? <laughs> I mean, come uh, on. I mean, I'm not going to name them, but, you know. That, Who are you know, they? Golly. I mean, it's- you can figure it out based on some of their. How long? they've coached in the sport oh, you right. know, do you, do you
1: but, think that they um, do you think that they should I think is there, is there is my next question do yes, you think that they should yes, move I the season be, back
2: now l- let me just say this I would the re- I understand where Greg's coming from having some caution because if you're UCF you have the weather is your advantage in recruiting right Murph I mean re- yeah. you know, to say that hey you don't have to worry about a rain you know snowouts or, or seasons being delayed or traveling for five six weeks uh, like, you know, baseball and softball schools, some cases have to do, that's a recruiting advantage. So, if you're a team in the state of Florida, maybe you're not as excited about this because you might lose some of that leverage. So, I, I think that is valid. But I think, as a sport, as a whole, as a fan of the sport, absolutely, I think it would be great. And I think softball should do it because softball has the same problems that baseball. In fact, they have it worse. I mean, I'll use our old friend, Renee Gillespie at Iowa. They travel first. They pretty much travel the entire non-conference season, which is basically over a month, month and a half. Uh, if you push it back, they can host games up at Iowa. Not, not just Iowa, but other schools, as an example. So uh, I do think it could push back. I do buy the theory of if you push it back away from basketball, because the one thing I disagree with, for example, there's been times, uh, last year, UCF's hosting Miami in a big baseball game. Well, you got people like Brian who flew to Dallas to cover UCF basketball. Yeah. So there's conflict there, uh, yeah. and that has happened from time to time. There's a couple of years ago, UCF had a big baseball game on the week where UCF's in playing in the NCAA tournament in basketball. So uh, I do buy the theory of you run into basketball, people aren't going to pay attention to baseball or softball during the end of the basketball season unless the basketball season's gone south. So I think there's some valid points. Uh, on both sides. And I think it's something that I'm fascinated to see if it, where it goes. Uh, but I do know in the baseball side, that's been discussed for a little while. Softball, usually what tends to happen is softball will copy baseball probably about five years after the fact is probably what happens.
1: Interesting. You know, bet- you know between that and, you know, we've said, talked about it for two years. It got put on hold because of the pandemic. But between that and soccer, you know, possibly splitting their season across right. the fall. We could see college sports in the next two, three years could look, even just how we ingest it, could look very, very different. What if? What a fascinating thing. I mean, it's um, right. I, I, it's it's. What, I mean, I keep saying it, man. What a time to be alive. I'll tell you. Woo. Well,
2: Goodness. and I'll tell you this. I mean, TV as far as softball has been a big, big TV rev- deal there. And now there's not a, ESPN, from what I'm told, has not pushed softball because they actually like the fact they can put softball as counter-programming against the NBA playoffs when they don't have the NBA, because it does very well. It does a different demographic. Uh, College baseball doesn't do that. So there hasn't been the push from a TV side to push softball later in the year than they would for baseball, because they feel that baseball, when it's unopposed, college baseball, it does very well. Where they've run into problems is there's not many TV slots, to fill because you have college basketball going on, or you're going up against college softball postseason. One of you know the American has been on ESPN News their championship game in part because there's softball regionals going on on the ESPN networks. Yeah. So if you push baseball back, you could avoid that, and now all of a sudden you have more TV time slots available. So perhaps the American instead of being on ESPN News as an example could be on an ESPN or ESPN two time slot because there's no softball to go up against or college basketball.
1: Wow. All right. Well, we're going to have to monitor things because I know that obviously the NCAA is dealing with the issue of just recovering from COVID-19 as well. But what yeah. but once we get I think once we get through that cloud, you know, then they're going to obviously have to start thinking about, all right, how are things going to look from here on out? And that's where I think we're going to get some more answers on this stuff. Great stuff, guys. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, it's relatively show uh, a yeah, short sorry, show.
2: It's exclusive. Before yes. com.
1: Yeah, I know. I told you we weren't going to talk about what was on uh, about what was on the site right now, but yeah, we're going to do that anyway. Um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back. We got a little bit of football news. Short show this week because it's really, you know, in terms of UCF sports, obviously not a whole heck of a lot going on. There are much more important things in the country that need people's attention. But uh, we're going to try and uh, sort out some things with uh, UCF football and uh, players coming back uh, after this. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff, Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you after that whirlwind first segment, where (laughs) probably one of the most entertaining first segments you ever had. I I didn't even have the chance to get in a dad joke, where I
0: cursed in the intro to lead off the show. Apparently,
1: I know. Well, well, you know, we have technology for that. You know, it's 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 it's, twenty twenty. We can take care of that.
2: Um. Think about the black and gold banner pot. We always record during the UCF guys getting drafted, so I know. tradition continues. We're there,
1: it's, it's a tradition unlike any other. Uh,
2: let's talk a little bit
1: about uh, football here because uh, the plan uh, for UCF football is actually in action right now. Um, in terms of bringing guys back, 60 players uh, came back for um. Voluntary workouts this week, and the news broke that three of them tested positive for COVID nineteen. Uh, the statement from UCF stated that they that they are being uh, looked after by the uh, obviously by UCF's medical staff, and also um, that they will uh, isolate for two weeks uh, while uh, whatever. Obviously, you know our, our thoughts are with the we don't know who the three guys are. Our thoughts are with them and whoever they may be and you know and wherever they may be isolating just hang in there and get and get better obviously um you know i'm sure a scary situation i know that obviously we know that the the statistics on uh on younger people who contract it but that doesn't necessarily mean that that you know you're out of the woods obviously but um nonetheless uh looking around the world of college football here in the state of florida at least um fau and the uf uh stated that none of their players who came back for um voluntary workouts uh tested positive for COVID 19 florida state confirmed that some players did but they did not say how many um uh, as we look into this first of all murph if you could just kind of give us the lay of what the players are actually doing in this workout, and and what do you think would be this is is the situation right now? Because this is obviously a, a real concern. You know what happens if during the season this this takes place? Um, it's it's a really sticky situation from a medical perspective. Um, you, you know, in terms of dealing with this, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, well, I think UCF is trying to deal with it the best they can, and so many, you see so many schools that are having athletes come back to campus, I mean, they've drawn up their own battle plans for how they want to protect their athletes, and UCF, I think, has done, I, I thought they've put forth a pretty good pretty good effort to keep athletes safe and to know, you know, once someone is infected with the virus, that they have a way to, to you know, quarantine them, to keep every people, other people safe, so basically to run you through how this all went down. Right. 60 sixty sixty football players were allowed to come back on campus on June first. Uh, now, and now how many players,
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but how many players in total um, does UCF is UCF expected to bring back? Because obviously, eighty five scholarships and whatnot. And and how do they determine who was who is coming on? So
0: you will have you will have you have the sixty players who came back now, uh, this this on June first. Mm-hmm. Later this month, you'll bring in freshmen. I believe in football and men's basketball, uh, and then on July, in July, the uh, the the way it was worded is that players would have the option to come back in July for uh, like other sports. If they're allowed to come back, uh, they could come back in July. But right now on campus, you have 60 football players, so all of them went through a a standard you know a standard COVID-19 test, whether it was you know the nasal swab or the throat swab. Uh, I, I don't know. But they all went through that as they came back last week. And then everyone waited to see what the results were. During this time, UCF players are going through instruction about you know, basically how, you know, how, how this is all going to be handled, what the protocol is going to be regarding uh, you know, sanitary. And they, they have to go through um, uh, health checkpoints every time they enter a facility. They have to get their temperature checked, and they have to, uh, I think, uh, use a hand sanitizer. Whenever they enter a new building, uh, the machines they use, because it's all individual workouts. So they're just working out inside the basically the on-campus, you know, uh, football gyms. That Those the, those uh, apparatuses have to be wiped down and sanitized after every use. Uh, you have players who have individual water bottles that are sanitized after every day and then given you know, give back to the medical staff and then returned to the player the following day after they've been sanitized. Um, so they're they're doing all of this getting ready to start workouts on June 8th. And then it comes back that three of the 60 players who arrived have tested positive. So now, basically what Youssef has to do, or what they've done, is quarantine those three players. I'll talk about that in a bit. And they also have to make sure, in accordance with the other health officials in Orlando that they're working with, they have to make sure that the people that those players have been in recent contact with, uh, know that those players have tested positive. They have to do some sort of contact tracing where they, you know, they have to make sure that the people that uh, that have been around those players know they've been infected and to possibly look out because you might have been infected too. Uh, so just be aware. The players who are in quarantine now uh, will be so for two weeks. Now, I don't know when the clock started specifically for these players. We were notified about this on Tuesday, June 9th. Now, again, the quarantine though could have started for some of these players last week once the test came back or possibly Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. But they are quarantined now for two weeks, 14 days. They typically live either on campus or off campus in, you know, a dorm setting with probably two or three more athletes. Well, now they're living in a space that's been designated for them, each in their own, like, own dorm by themselves, basically, for the next two weeks. The only contact they have with the outside world is every day a, uh, a medical professional for UCF or maybe one of the um, Orlando health organizations they're working with will come in and do a daily screening test. Basically just take their temperature, ask them how they're feeling, run through if they're having any symptoms and just keep an eye on them. And then they get meals delivered to them through contact delivery uh, every day as well. This will be their life for the next 14 days. After those 14 days in quarantine are up, those three players will then have to take two uh, COVID tests in the span of 24 hours. Both of those tests have to come back negative. Once those both those tests come back negative, then they will be allowed to re-enter the population and start working out again in the facilities.
1: Golly, I, I, I mean, this. Obviously, the the health is the most important thing, but the thing that's, you know, c- kind of a little frightening to me is. What what would this look like if the season were taking place? Right, um, it's one thing for players to be among the uh, uh, to, to be among the uh, among themselves in the in this you, you know in a in a practice situation, obviously, but you know now I mean, golly, I mean, if this if this took place during the season, this could be a pretty scary situation for, you know, obviously the entire team and whoever UCF might have been playing at that time or whichever school it might be. It's
0: certainly, but again, Jeffrey, we are trying to sort of cross that bridge when we get to it. And so there, I mean, we're not even, we are, we are about two months away from training camp really officially beginning, which we got sort of a, a thin outline of today. So we're just trying to get there first, right? and then we can worry about, you know, how often do you. Test them during a practice week for a game? Do you test them for a road game? Do you test them before they get on the plane or after, uh, you know, the night, bef- the night before a game, the day of a game, uh, and then when you test them again? Um, and so, but that is also that's going to probably be answered later on. Uh, I did ask a, a UCF spokesman about whether or not they're going to test because all the coaches and administrators and players who are on campus, all of them have gone through a test already. And I asked if. There were any plans to give anyone else another test at a later date now currently that is not in the plans they would certainly test anyone as soon as possible if they begin showing symptoms but there will be no as far as i understand it there's no plan to do any more asymptomatic testing uh for this for right now uh and and we don't even know the players who were who uh, tested positive we don't know they they might have been asymptomatic they possibly could have been Right. Um, so you know, but, but we'll see. I think it's all very tenuous. What UCF has planned for right now really only runs through some parts of July, and then you and then maybe into August when they start practicing for real for 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 training camp. But uh, but this is going to be a developing and very malleable situation.
1: Yeah. Now there's no break in between in between this sort of workout period and then. The start of training camp is there?
0: Well, there. So they are leading up to. I think there is. A, I think there is. I mean, look it up. I believe there is a a break at some point. But uh, but go ahead. I, I'm gonna look it up. And, and I know Eric had a question.
1: Yeah. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead.
2: Well, Brian, I was trying to think. There was a player last year, if I'm not mistaken, and I, and, I, and I that was not with the team for like a couple of weeks, and people were speculating. Uh, what was going on, if he was okay or not. And it turned out he was not – he wasn't – he was sick or something, wasn't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember there was a player last year and people were speculating, oh, could he be leaving the team or not? And, you know, uh, and he wasn't with the team at all at the game. He didn't travel and things. uh, And it turns out he was just – they kept him away from the team. He wasn't, you know uh, –
0: he was not healthy. I I don't want to speculate openly, and now I don't want to throw out any names. But – so I have I have an idea of who you're talking about, but since I'm not sure, I'm not gonna say.
2: Fair, uh, no, that's a fair, that's fair, fair But my point is, you know, that's probably what we're gonna see during the season. Hypothetically, is if a kid, t- you know, does not you know test positive, he's not gonna be available for a couple weeks. You almost have to treat it like an injury, uh, no different than if a kid goes down with a knee injury or a sprained ankle. Uh, well no,
1: it's very different like, because they can't even they can't they can't rehab in this in the facility they can't they can't be on the sideline, they can't be anywhere. It's like they basically ghost the program for two weeks.
2: Right, but what I'm saying, and that's why I brought up the example last year we that was that was the case with somebody that wasn't around uh, with a player. so uh, I just think you treat it like an injury of sorts. I mean, I saw, that's just the way it is and yeah they can't treat but at least it's not an injury you know where they're going to be it's not like that deal but yeah you almost have to treat it like an injury if he's not available to play and that's just I think one of the things that people have to adapt to uh in this regard uh I just that's just just the way it is uh I think that's how that's going to be treated I saw where even Bruce Arian said that he's thinking about separating the quarterbacks in the room just for that reason he doesn't want Three quarterbacks catching it if one gets He wants to have one available for that. So I'm wondering, it'll be interesting to see, and well, we won't know if coaches who I think are, you know, they they, they always think of all these scenarios. I'll be interested to see, for example, in the quarterback room, do they split them up for that reason? Do they, you know, caution. I will say this. I, I think they're in a good spot in that. I think the unit, you know, the medical staff and everybody, they will take care of them. They're gonna be super watched. You could argue. They're probably better off where they're at on campus with the t- trainers and the doc, the university there, than they would be out in the public. Uh, in That's some fair. places. so yeah. uh, I I I I think they will be taken care of very well, um, and I think that I trust the universities will handle it, especially in today's culture where they you have to know every kid's medical situation. I think we've learned that uh, over the years, over the decades that. You have to be on top of every condition every kid has on your roster because you don't want an incident to occur that uh, you that could get you uh, could, could be very really unfortunate. So I, I trust in the medical staff. I trust in the universities. They're taking this very seriously. I've listened to Brian Hairline, who's in charge of the NCAA. They're taking this very seriously, uh, and I think they're working on the proposals. And like Murph said, it's kind of a you kind of go with it. You kind of go with it. So I, I don't think anybody's going to be irresponsible on this.
1: Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I mean, it's. I, we keep using the same term every single time, and it's kind of annoying. I can't say it, but we really are in uncharted territory right now with this whole thing, and yeah, you know, it's it, it's just going to have to be one of these realities that we deal with. I mean, hopefully, my hope is, you know, not just as somebody who covers this, but you know, with you guys, but also as a fan, is that is that we only have to wait on this, you know, for this year. You know, it, it only causes trouble this year. I think if it can, I mean, this thing is going to be around with us for a while. But football season is a season; it comes and it goes. Um, as do the other, as do the other seasons, because we're probably going to see you know situations like this with other sports as well that fire up in the fall, possibly with you know volleyball, soccer, assuming all that comes back the way up uh, the way we're expecting. Um, you know, it's, which I think we
2: have more questions about those. I right? Yeah, because
1: uh, they're because they're not they're not even doing any any workouts no. on campus no, um, no.
2: And, and and here's my bigger concern about them football guys and men's basketball to some extent have charter planes Olympic sports don't right uh, they got for the most they part, fly they commercial travel on commercial is that really an appropriate is that really you know something you want to be doing in this climate right now I don't know you know I, you know well that's where the whole
1: regional scheduling thing was you know became a thing you know sure
2: so well, and and but that's why I'm wondering Jeffrey if those sports get shortened because of that, because you limit scheduling, uh, travel. You know right. what I mean? Like, do you, are we headed for a shortened fall season? And for example, volleyball and soccer and, and things like that, because you eliminate travel, you save money financially. Could we be headed for a shortened season in those sports? And that might even expand towards next year. With baseball and softball, don't assume that we're going to have a full schedule next year. Even if we're healthy, even from a health standpoint, we're better off, which we all hope we are. Just from a financial standpoint, with all the financial loss, these sports might be, at least on the short term, have shortened seasons to save money that way. One of You know, I'm in the softball, and one of the things I've been hearing a lot about is a lot of conferences – are looking into going back to the old school conference scheduling ways of instead of having single games on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go back to playing a doubleheader Saturday and then a single game Sunday because you're saving time and travel and you save money that way. So there's a financial standpoint that they got to deal with. And there's also the health standpoint. Uh, They got to balance all that out. And I think it's the same with football. That's why – We're not even going to try to speculate what's going to be with football season. Because I don't think anybody honestly knows as of right now what we're going to have for for as far as a football season is concerned. Anybody that suggests they think they know is is nuts because this thing could evolve. We could have a completely different conversation in two to three weeks. We might – I think we might have. We might well. Uh, And then again, we could have a different conversation in two months uh, with all this. So I think – but I do trust – the medical staffs at these schools with these student athletes because they constantly take care of them they constantly watch over them to begin with in a normal circumstances let alone the current circumstances true and okay.
0: and and we have to look at it too from this point of view which is cynical and, and sort of uh, it doesn't it's not very humane but it's it's part of the factor these players are commodities for these schools they they make them money you have to keep them healthy um, so especially for your your football and your basketball team players, you have to do it. You can't just like you you have to be on them to be you know healthy and ready to play because it generates so much of your revenue as a department as a university. So yeah, they're gonna be on top of this a lot. And I know with, with we talked about you guys talked about the 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 non Olympic sports and the and challenges and the, the challenges there for the Olympic sports, but for the football and basketball especially like they're going to be on these kids like hawks, making sure that if, if they have any cough or anything, they go right away yeah. to get
2: checked. Yeah. Well, uh, and I, the, the conversation that's going to have to be had is – and the one issue I do have is all this talk about having fans at the games. Are we sure that's really a good idea? I think those conversations have to be had probably by a lot of different people because my my only concern is – Are people going to – are these schools going to allow fans in because they want to make up their money and not be uh, at at the expense of health? I hope that's not the case, Uh, but I do worry about that because I have a bigger worry about where a kid could get – you could have a situation where if you bring fans in – or parents are at the games, well, they're going to try to reach out to the kid. Hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden, now that's how we could get really a bad situation, make it worse.
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, we, we got a little bit of an indication of that from Memphis this week because their yeah. athletic department announced uh, on Wednesday, this is according to the commercial appeal, um, that they are uh, – one of the things that they're thinking about doing is um, is having only season ticket holders – um be allowed to attend games at the Liberty Bowl. Now Liberty Bowl is a big stadium. Uh, wow. and Memphis as far as I know, I don't know how many season ticket holders they have. I think uh, you read 20? 20 20,000 The Liberty Bowl The Liberty Bowl holds just short of 60,000. Right. So that's one Which in might every Might
2: make it easier, might help them spread it out more than UCF at the Bounce House. Um yeah. And I think that's an interesting question. Mike Bianchi asked Danny White when he was on the show a couple weeks ago about would they consider playing at the, the old Citrus Bowl because it's a bigger stadium might be easier to spread out people if you decide if there are people in the stands. Yeah, what, but
1: I, I don't know about that just based on the the fact that you're going to be you're going to be
2: paying rent, you know.
1: Like why would you do no, that? we don't.
2: That, that's that's something they have to figure out. What is the safe, appropriate deal? Now, again, this could change drastically. I mean, in a month from now, we might be at a situation where you don't allow people in the stadium, or they might, and people might feel good about it. But I think those are questions that have to be addressed because I worry more, about, and it's simple math, the more people that are involved in the area, the, there's a higher risk. I don't think that's a
1: yeah. uh, well, obviously, uh, crazy but... thing. Murph, what so, were you going to say?
0: I was, uh, well, I was just saying, it, during the, during, as you were sort of, trying to figure out what to say next, I was just sort of butting in by saying, there's a lot we don't know. And so right, it's yeah, hard to, it's hard to say right now, but we right. know that it's hard to say. And we, we, we're just sort of talking in circles at this point. <laughs> right,
1: yeah. Which seems like it's a good idea for us to call it a show. Um, not going to ask any of you guys, uh, uh, either of you guys, what you got on tap for this week, because we don't know what the hell is coming up this week. Um, we're still working on well, the... I do uh,
2: have a little bit of a, a, a note that uh, might be a little weird that could affect UCF. Uh, that could come out next week a little bit. Okay. Uh, it is it, it, well. It's a TV standpoint. So let's assume. Do tell. Things go as schedule. Let's assume everything goes as schedule. Uh, this, you know, was UCF starting on schedule against North Carolina, etc. Let's just assume that. Uh, it is expected on Monday, or as early as Monday, that the U.S. Open will announce whether they're going to go ahead and play the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament this year, which begins in late August and goes to, for a couple weeks. Why is that significant to UCF? Well, ESPN owns the rights to that. If he, and he, from what I'm told, the ESPN, which pays US, USTA, by the way, about 70 to $80 million a year for the rights, uh, not only for the US Open, but other US tennis pr- programming and content, which I'm not going to get into. But if the US Open does go on as scheduled and the NBA, which as we record this, has not announced their schedule yet for their return in the playoffs, but I do know that on that night of the scheduled UCF-North Carolina game, they will have second-round NBA playoffs are scheduled to take place that night. So you could have a situation where ESPN has U.S. Open tennis coverage, could have an NBA conference semifinal coverage, and UCF-North Carolina, uh, that's a lot of sport not, not, so, not
1: to mention baseball going on at that time.
2: Baseball, we don't know if ESPN will have you know carry games that night or not. Who knows? But you're right, there's a lot in the plate. So... That could affect where you see the UCF North Carolina game. Where it could be instead of an ESPN or ESPN two game, it could be an ESPN U game. It could be an ESPN News deal. The start time could be drastically affected by that. If they decide to have the NBA uh, and at night, they might tell UCF and North Carolina to play in the afternoon, or it could be the other way around. We don't know. Uh, but step first step is first. We might get a hint. We'll see if the U.S. Open is pl- is announced they will go on. Now, if they don't, then that's one less programming that UCF, uh, in theory, would have to worry about that night. But that is something to monitor this upcoming week if you're into the whole UCF television exposure coverage. Man, aspect. we
1: are we are heading for the mother of all sports equinoxes this yeah. fall. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banner at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold at as well. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo and Spokes underscore Murphy. Well, fellas, who we made it through. Hopefully, we'll have another uh, a, a, another week a week of some good news coming through for us. But it's been uh, uh, wow. We had some some breaking news tonight, and it's been fun. So uh, take it easy, stay safe. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. All right, and thanks again to you for listening. This has been the black and gold banner at podcast stay safe everybody